Beyond the Ranch with Jay Gannon from Find the Ranch. Welcome to Beyond the Wrench. I'm your host, Jay Gannon, and I'm happy to be joined by today's podcast guest, Jacob Finley. Jacob is the founder and CEO of Full Bay. His unique path to the diesel industry is fascinating, and I'm really looking forward to diving into how he's got to this point in his life. As far as Full Bay, they are a software company used by heavy-duty repair shops to help them run their businesses more efficiently, and actually it goes beyond that. As you can read on the front page of their website, Full Bay gets everyone in your shop on the same page. It unchains owners from the shop, makes techs more efficient, lets service managers quarterback the work, allows parts managers to quickly price and order parts, and prevents the office from ever getting behind on invoicing. And it really satisfies the customer. I have to start off by saying I absolutely love that slogan and I love what you guys do. Welcome to the program, Jacob. How are you? Hey, Jay. Uh, happy to be here. Thank you very much for your kind words. Doing great. Uh, how are you? How are you? Staying healthy? Yeah, staying healthy. And I think this uh, the the quarantine life is uh, is a little different, but we're uh, we're all adapting, and it, it's uh, it's fascinating to kind of talk to people about how they're doing and how they're coping through it, and maybe some of the silver linings that we're kind of hearing as we go through it. But for today, I I want to first off start by kind of learning more about you. Uh, your background is probably a little bit different in how you got to this point than than a lot of folks in the industry. And I, I'm just genuinely fascinated by it. So uh, why don't you start by kind of giving us a little background on, on who you are, how you got to this point, and, and uh, maybe a little bit about Full Bay in general. Yeah, uh, sounds good. So I studied accounting in school and did my own repairs on my car, but I'm not super talented at that. So I have a lot of admiration for people in the industry that are able to do that. My son's good. But my calling kind of felt uh, that direction. So I uh, joined a large accounting firm when I graduated and I did that for a while. And eventually I was actually going to be an accounting professor. Uh, that's what I wanted to do and kind of realized that I'd rather do business rather than teach it. So fell into a software startup in the medical record space, electronic medical record space, um, and did that and did another one, had more and more responsibility until I was eventually running all the finance side and we were doing uh, really great stuff. And um, while that was going on, a buddy of mine who had a truck shop was complaining he couldn't find decent software for his, for a shop. And one thing led to another. And I, I quit my job there working at the software company to go work in a shop for a year while we finished up building the software. And uh, then we launched sales and the rest is, is history. That's yeah, that's yeah. so cool. So I have to ask, how long were you and your buddy talking for? Because I, um, it's a both my business partner and I kind of have a, a similar kind of upbringing. Now, that's not your business partner. It's more of a he, you worked in his shop and kind of helped right. develop the software, right? So uh, it's a little bit different, but uh, kind of similar in that we, uh, my, my business partner has a similar background to you. I probably have more of a similar background to your buddy. How did that conversation even start? Was it just, it was more just out of frustration from him? Uh, I know from, from running shops, how frustrating work and process can be and how frustrating the whole process is in general. Uh, what, what kind of was your light bulb moment where you're like, oh my gosh, something needs to change here? Yeah, so I was, it was a barbecue in November 2012 and we're in Arizona. So you do barbecues in November 
and we were grilling hamburgers back there. In fact, we have a recreation of it on our website if you really want to see how this went down. Anyway, um, we started meeting super early in the morning every day, and I was just getting just flowcharting, getting a brain dump, and all this stuff. Day after a day after day, we probably started coding mid 2013, um, and uh, it was just a lot of lot of hard work going into it. Eventually, our developer was full time working, and so we didn't launch sales until August of 2015. So it's quite a process, and yeah. then you know that's the beta version essentially. And it, so now it's 2020, and we continue to make improvements and discover new things and better ways to do things. So. It's like fashion. It's never done. So how how did you make the call to go work in a shop? Because uh, yeah. with with you, you you came from a really really good background, had a really good job, and then I, this is the part that really is fascinating to me is that you took the leap. I mean, you went from from right. uh, something that was certain and and that you knew was going to be there to something that it was a whole different world. How did that work? It was. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was a leap of faith. My wife was 100% on board with it. That helped. It's kind of a confluence of things. So we got to the point where I really felt like we were onto something here and that I could turn this into a company. And that helped. I did feel like I needed to get some street credibility. At one point, I uh, was looking at the possibility of buying into the shop. So that was alluring also, like maybe we use this as a lab. Uh, eventually, I realized that um, you know running a shop is so difficult to do that, and a software company at the same time is just not a good idea. And then a mentor of mine, I was 35 when I, I actually um, my first day at the shop was my 35th birthday, and I had a mentor, uh, Larry Miller, who's a car dealer in Utah. He bought his first shop when he was 35, so I felt like, well, you know, if you're going to do something, you're going to make a run at it. You do it at 35. So here we go. Let's see what happens. And people did think I was crazy, like. I did not get, I was in the wilderness for a while. You know, people yeah. that I worked with, I you know, took a massive pay cut and left a bunch of stock options on the table, all that stuff. They, you know, maybe were nice to my face, but I heard a lot of stuff coming back to me. People weren't returning my calls when I was asking for tips and help yeah. and so forth. But eventually uh, it came around and starting something is really hard. Uh, yes. Like any business owner knows if you're a producer, um, you don't just like start up day one and suddenly everything works. It's a grind and that's a grind that can last years. So, you know, I have, having gone through this, my hat's off to anybody who started their own venture and made it work because it is brutal. It is brutal. It is, it is hard. And it's a, I've got a funny story for you on how I guess I can relate to what you're talking about with, uh, when, when you kind of make that jump and, I had a, a, a good job prior to starting FinderWrench, and I actually launched, similar to how you launched on your 35th, I think I, I was uh, just turning 34 when I started FinderWrench, nice. and I remember I, I left my job, uh, but I, I actually wrote the business plan up while my uh, son was being, like, he was, he was born early, so he was in the NICU, and I knew some things needed to change, so I was like, okay, I'm going to write up this business plan do all of this fancy planning and all of this other stuff while my son's in the NICU. And, uh, and I go down to my, my dad's got an automotive repair shop, a small one. And so I go down and my grandpa happened to be there that day. And it was like a week after my son was born. And, um, and I, <laughs> I walked in and I said, Hey grandpa, how's it going? And we started kind of having small talk. And then uh, I said, so did you hear I left my job? 
and started a company. And he's he kind of uh, he gave me kind of a an ugly look that uh, yes, I saw that you left, and and uh, I'll never forget that <laughs> that in my life because it was such a uh, you almost. I don't want to say I felt embarrassed, but I, I, I almost felt just bad uh, in regard to uh, right. I left something with stability to go to something that definitely wasn't stable. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably not something you want to see your child doing. Right? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 not at all. So tell us a little bit about uh, Full Bay in general. I, I know I, I kind of read off the uh, the initial uh, kind of piece from the the front page of the website, but give us a little background into what it is that you guys do, and and I think this will help us kind of lead into what our our focal point of the actual conversation is. So we step in and run. It's essentially a platform for running. We focus on commercial repair, but for running a repair shop. So from service request all the way through to invoicing, everything's happening inside of our software. So customer calls up the shop; they need a repair done someone's inputting that repair request into full bay and then assigning it to the tech and it pops up on the tech's tablet or whatever device they're using. The tech puts in the parts that they need, diagnoses the complaints and so forth, does inspections all inside our software. Meanwhile, the, you know, the parts manager, it pops up on their screen and they can start sourcing and pricing the parts. And in commercial repair, authorization is a huge deal. Uh, sometimes it's getting a PO, but at least getting authorization from the customer. So all of this feeds into as soon as all the parts are priced, um, immediately, you know, full bay calculates all the markup and all that stuff. So you now have an estimate really quickly that you can send to the customer and they can then authorize it on their phone or whatever. And then, you know, the instant it's authorized, we can send the parts orders to the vendors and the tech gets notified and you can start doing the repair. So all this stuff is happening. And, and then, you know, having worked in the shop myself, one of the, one of the most difficult steps is the invoicing at the end, making yeah. sure you don't leave anything off especially in commercial repair where the dollar amounts are just so high. And um, so all along the way, all the information that's required to create an invoice is collected. So then it just becomes clicking a button and create it. And then, you know, we have an integration with QuickBooks and others where it just drops it in QuickBooks. It's, it's beautiful. So all the, I guess all the problems that my friend was trying to, trying to solve um, in the shop, that being one of them, what I just described, we've solved and made it super, super nice. That. Uh, there, there is a a ton of value in that, and I know from somebody that's ran shops that uh, you didn't have it coordinated as well as that. It it is a nightmare uh, for from everything from the the efficiency of the tech to the working process, and then all the way through that the invoicing part is just uh, leads to a lot of heartache and a lot of <laughs> mental anguish for for a shop owner or manager. Yeah, as a shop owner, how many times have you had to haircut an invoice because you know there's a breakdown in communication and they're, you know they're shocked that it's this dollar amount or whatever? Yes. Um, yes. So you know you want to be able to pause at the authorization step, but it can take so much just to create an estimate. You know, you, you know. So some shops are like, well, I'll just eat it on the other end. You just it's repair done. So if you can make that estimate faster and get the customer to experience the pain of the dollar amount of the repair before you do the repair that's much better because then when they get the invoice at the end, they're like, okay, yeah, this is not a surprise. Yeah. I, I love that. I, I think that is, I, that's was sorely, sorely needed. And I don't know that we had anything like that before. So I, uh, I think that there's a lot of value in that. So I, I want to circle back to when you went into the shop and you're, you're starting to look at building a platform how did, where did you start at when you went into the shop? I, I mean, when you started working there as, as somebody that didn't have uh, experience in the industry, 
yeah. you start in the office or start with a tech or how, how does that, how, like, how does day one look? Yeah, I definitely started in the office. So the idea was I would take over as the quote unquote office manager, right? Okay. So um, essentially handling vendor bills and reconciling the vendor statements, uh, running QuickBooks, preparing financials, um, doing collections, accounts receivable, the invoicing process at the end of the repair, all that stuff. I, I participated in a couple PMs, you know, but, you know, getting, getting into the bay with, it's one thing to like, um, have your neighbor help you, you know, replace your spark plugs and whatever. And that's kind of fun. But when you're in like a professional shop setting and you're coming in as a complete amateur, like you cannot <laughs> make it till you make it. Like, uh, so there was no hope for me in the bays. Um, I really respect those guys. Um, but on the office side, and then I talked to them all the time. Like we would have the toolbox meetings and, getting their feedback on what we built and so forth. So it's kind of like that. There's a lot of work to do. Yeah, and I think getting that perspective on on how difficult a, a technician's job is and how, honestly, how really smart they are, right? I, I don't know that they yeah. get the credit that they deserve for the critical thinking and, and just oh, yeah. in general how smart they are. Oh, yeah, a good technician who can diagnose a problem instead of just being a parts changer. Um, you know, the brief time I was there, like, that's such a difference. Um, and the ability to think like a troubleshooter is such a valuable skill in a technician and um, it saves the customer money and the shop money and on comebacks and all this. So yeah, totally. Yeah. There's a lot of really, really smart guys out there. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a thing of beauty to watch a, a good diagnostic tech go to work. But um, so for, for today's conversation, we're in the midst of uh, the whole coronavirus scare, the COVID-19 and we, we've, uh, we've done uh quite a few podcasts around like how shops are adapting and, and really on the day-to-day uh, of, of what they're doing to adapt. Uh, one of the things that you and I wanted to talk about uh, was really how there's some things that are going to impact us that are probably going to last even after we get out of this pandemic. And one of those being uh, kind of social distancing and how, how that might have an impact on us for the long haul. Uh, wanted to have you on today to discuss uh, maybe some of those, you know, how you adapt and how you how you work around that. And and do you? I guess to start off with, do you think uh, maybe what are your thoughts on on how this will impact us as a uh, kind of as a shop community moving forward? What what do you see that we've had to adapt to so far that could end up being something that takes us down the road and we just keep doing it? Yeah. Well, you guys are so timely on your content that I know you've already made several episodes about this. Um, and congratulations on being so quick. Um, it's what we're hearing is that there's a great article, uh, MIT technology review just came out with is that we're essentially entering the era of social distancing that even with COVID-19 winding down, um, it's not going to change. And things are not going to go back to normal after a few weeks or even after a few months. And some things never will. So that, you know, part of flattening the curve is, is reducing the number of people exposed to the virus. And what that means is for a very long time, we're going to have small outbreaks taking place. So the t- pandemic needs to last at a low level until either enough people are immune or there's a vaccine or something else. So we got to be prepared to go through this again, um, perhaps several times in the near future. And that might be a hard truth to swallow. Maybe that's not what we want to hear, but recognizing hard truths before others can actually be a major competitive advantage. So the entering this era, you know, what does it mean for shops? I think that what we're hearing from shops is, um, you know, we talked to one shop 
um, that mentioned that they've blocked off different quadrants of their building. So the people who aren't needed in specific areas weren't walking around or seeing people in places where they didn't actually have to perform the work, that kind of thing. And, and then it also kind of uh, raises the question, a lot of shops are able to work remote a little bit in management. When I went to work in a shop, this wasn't really possible because their QuickBooks was run on a server inside the shop and there was a lot of cleanup that needed to be done on QuickBooks when I got there. And so I would come in really early and stay really late just trying to get that done. Well, you got QuickBooks online available today. You don't have to have your accounting system sitting on a server inside your shop. You don't have to be running a little mini data center in your shop. So, you know, the reality is the shops that are running, say, QuickBooks online, they can have a lot of the office work done remote. In fact, the office person could do it at night while they're watching Netflix. And a lot, yeah. what you see a lot of shops is it's a husband and wife team. A lot of times the wife will be doing the books and husband's kind of leading out with the technicians. And so um, preventing the wife from having to go into the shop or whoever's doing the books and making it so they can do that from home, maybe while they're watching the kids who are home from school and so forth. That's, that's a reality. It's 2020 that, that exists now. So, you know, shops that are still running their accounting on a, on a server where they're required to come in, maybe they can remote, but, um, you really should look very closely at switching to a cloud-based solution for your accounting system. Uh, yeah. so that's just one, a common sense thing you can do that, um, that can help you prepare for this, this new era. Well, it's nice to have the option, right? Like it, it's nice. I, I, uh, as I've, alluded to in other podcasts, uh, my, I, the family shop that I grew up in, uh, my dad and stepmother run that shop. And, uh, I've said multiple times they, they don't have a laptop, uh, to take home with them. Uh, yeah. and I, I said, cheapers, like if you could just take a laptop out, you know, they live probably 15 miles from the shop, but to, to even do just some quick, you know, work and, and do be able to, to, uh, like you said, fin- like, some things up on the accounting side. I think that's where, even with with the software that you guys have really developed, I think there's more of that to come where we, we can distance ourselves from having to be uh, on the ground floor all the time. And uh, and really, you know, I think it always goes to uh, working on your business rather than in your business, and that allows allows you maybe a little bit more freedom to do that, that, to have those tools, you know? Oh yeah, totally. And in fact, we drink our own Kool-Aid. So we preach this remote thing and we have since the beginning, we built our custom, our company remote. Um, my uh, partner, uh, David, who's our CTO, and I lived in different states this whole time that we were building it. And uh, so wow. we were forced to figure out how to uh, collaborate and communicate and so forth remote. Um, in fact, there's a really good book out there called Remote Office Not Required that was written by the guys that the company base camp and um, really? followed it as a Bible. It's just a great collection of ideas on how you can do this. But yeah, uh, it's hundred percent doable. And you know, if you're faced with a decision between a cloud-based or on-premise solution, you, I mean, you got to go with the cloud-based thing because then you have that flexibility. I remember I was in Europe on the side of a mountain in Romania, visiting my, my in-laws were over there doing some humanitarian stuff. And I was training a new full day customer. This is near the beginning. And they had no idea where I was. And it didn't matter. All that matters is that you have an internet connection and you're able to accomplish the work. Nobody cares that you're sitting at a desk in some office. Right. That, that's interesting. I, and I, I think, uh, from, from our standpoint, we're, we're very much on the same, uh, same path. And I really, I think people like the option to, to be able to work from home or, uh, you know, I think, and, this, this, the whole pandemic thing, I think, is 
it does open the door to maybe a new reality. And even for shops where uh, maybe a, a technician doesn't really, you know, a, a tech needs to be in their bay and probably needs to be working on, you know, their project where it's hands-on. But even the, the answering the phone parts or doing some of the other stuff, it, it, uh, it'll be interesting to see how we, how we adapt and change off of this uh, and as, we, right. as we move forward. Yeah, you got to think for a technician, uh, at least a lot of technicians, the idea that people have to stay six feet away from them is not a bad thing. Right. You know, working on a job, there's this concept of being in the zone. So if you're a technician doing your work, you're in the zone or anybody doing work, uh, you get in the zone and someone interrupts you, it yanks you out. It's kind of like if you're in your deepest sleep, like the REM phase of sleep. Yeah. When you get jolted awake when you're in the deepest sleep, when you go back to sleep, you don't go immediately back into that deep level. It takes a while to get back into it. And the same thing works with being quote unquote in the zone while working. So if you have a technician who's in the zone and you interrupt them, it takes them a while to get back into where they were. So if you're looking at helping the techs um, be more efficient and get more work out the door and so forth, the last thing you want to do is be interrupting them. So um, the concept of social distancing is, is something that can actually help make a shot more efficient, you know, where it, cause it forces you. One of the things that, when I worked in a shop and they talk about it in this book remote actually is that um, a shop or an office can become an interruption factory where people without really thinking how urgent their messages go in person and tap someone on the shoulder or interrupt what they're doing to convey some message. Right. And what we kind of hashed out when I was in a shop was what we called the interruption pyramid where we basically say, Hey, look, you know, there's many different options of communicate for communicating something and um, interrupting somebody in person and talking to them is like the, the top of the pyramid, the one that you should use the most rarely, if that makes sense. So yes. we, we were kind of joking about like the bottom of the pyramid would be like a, you know, a letter, right? Send, you can always send a letter in the mail, right? But then the next one more practical would be like an email, right? And this be done in an email. And then above that, maybe it's a Slack message or, something like that. And then above that, a text message where now you're ringing their, their phone with a text above that would be a phone call. And then above that would be, you know, tapping them on the sh shoulder and talking to, to them in person. So in an era of social distancing, applying that logic to how we go about doing business is I think really helpful. And some of these things, when you're physically in the same building doing work together, it's so tempting to go interrupt somebody with something that could have easily been sent in a text message or a Slack message or something like that. So working remote forces you to kind of deal with that. And you got to think once we're kind of back working uh, in person again, it's going to get a little annoying to get interrupted all the time because yeah. we are going to get a little bit used to people choosing their method of communication more wisely because you're not going to call somebody on the phone to tell them that the toolbox meeting has been moved back 30 minutes next week you send them an email. But if you're in person at the shop, you might just go interrupt that technician in the bay to tell them, which is not a great thing. That's the visual of the pyramid just did so much for me <laughs> on, on really painting that picture because cool. I think that's, so, yes, I think that's something that is, is so true, so, so vital. And I think even uh, if I'm in my office working and, and I, I, uh, I think, I've got a terrible attention span. So like if I'm in, if I'm focused and I'm in the zone or I'm getting work done, I'm, I'm really, really good. And then if, if I get interrupted, 
it takes me a long time to get back on task. And then even when I get back on task, am I going to be working at the at kind of the intensity that I was prior to that? I a lot of times I say no. I, right. I it's just a uh, it's hard to get that steam back again. That is, and I I honestly hadn't thought about it in that context for a technician because it it is it's that is that's that's crazy that was definitely a light bulb moment for me good good well and you know in light of all this we're shifting our roadmap a little bit to to be nimble and to respond to it but if you think if you think about like a tech in the shop so you want to minimize distractions you want to minimize a tech having to leave the bay i was talking to um uh the ceo of a big uh truck group out in California, he was telling me that they, they have it, they have the data to show that every time a tech needs to leave the bay, that's a quarter hour lost on average. Wow. So the, to the extent that you can keep the tech in the bay going, um, the more the better. So if you, if you're requiring your text to run and think about this in a social distancing context, right? If you're requiring your text to run a paper work order from the bay to the service manager's desk or maybe run a paper parts list from the bay to the parts manager's area, or run to the parts cage to check whether a part has been received or not, or lining up in front of the service manager's desk to ask a question or ask for the next job, stuff like that. Why require them to do that when we live in the year 2020 when cloud-based solutions are available? You don't have to have paper being shifted all over and think about how many hands are touching that paper, right? So that's great. <laughs> yes. And that, I mean, one of my pet peeves is if, if I walk into a shop and, there's a line of techs waiting to get answers on something and the, the service right. manager's talking to a customer and you can't get to them. And they're not, they're not going back to their stall. They just kind of stand there and, and wait uh, for their instruction. And it could be something that's like holding them up from continuing, but that is such a good point in that, that I, I one thing we used to do with, with just kind of doing some coaching with shops in my prior life was doing spaghetti charts to see how long you know, if you drew it out and saw how often a technician was walking back to the shop or walking to uh, uh, where the oil drain is or, you know, wherever it is, it's crazy how much you, uh, like when you think about it, how many steps you could take out of the day. Yeah, no, totally, totally. Um, so, so you get it, right? And for a technician, so you mentioned, um, I was listening to another episode, you guys were talking about, you know, is it possible to do valet services and bring a uh, customer's uh, vehicle to the shop and so forth? What we see a lot is obviously in the commercial space, you see a lot of mobile repairs happening, whether it's um, breakdown on the side of the road or you're going to the customer's lot and, and doing work on their vehicles at their place. That's kind of a, it's a good way for a tech to, to part, kind of partially work remote. So obviously a tech is yeah. going to be turning wrenches on a customer vehicle, but if you, it requires some sort of a service truck, which carries tools and shop supplies and some inventory and the techs, the techs may have to come to the shop to replenish that, but you can work it out where the techs dispatch from their house, not even have to go into the shop much and maybe pick up parts and share themselves and so forth. They still need to follow the basic precautions of, you know, sanitizing areas and, uh, you know, covering their face and so forth. But, right. but yeah, um, I guess think outside the box a little bit. If it's, you can do a lot to eliminate the number of steps the techs have to, have to take inside the shop. And the, like you were saying with the spider chart, like the, the times they have to interact with others that are actual time wasters. And then you can think outside the box of where, how could we partially get the techs working remote um, via mobile repairs? And that is something that even 
hopefully this era of social distancing does pass eventually. It's going to have an indelible imprint, I think, on our culture. Yeah. But um, that's the kind of thing that will be a money maker for a shop for forever to come because that yeah. way you can have, you're not constrained by the days you have. If you have a vehicle taking up a bay, that doesn't matter if you have a technician going mobile and that doesn't matter as much. Well, and I think it, it makes the profession more appealing too, right? If, if they're, if they have the option to, you know, um, to run out of a, run out of a truck and maybe have a little bit more, uh, have a little bit more of a, um, I guess kind of, I don't know, like if they, if they have more ability to control their schedule, yeah. uh, too, where, you know, I think so often we're, we're so tied to keeping a tech in the shop from eight to five and like there, there, you know, no downtime, no anything like that. Whereas if, if maybe somebody does want to do some work at night or on a weekend and doesn't, you know, needs a Tuesday off or something like that, they, 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 that gives them the ability to maybe do that more than just being tied down to that, 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 that actual bay where they, they have to be there producing every minute of every day. So Right. I, uh, that, that could be something we see change too. I, that's interesting. Yeah. Maybe we see a bunch of sacred cows get sacrificed out in the field. Yeah. <laughs> um, how, what about just in general, do you think with shops, are there other opportunities to, you know, whether it's through social distancing or, uh, just cleanliness in general or functionality and processes of how we run these businesses? Do you see other opportunities for for us to get better, uh, kind of as the collective of of how we run shops? Obviously, your software I think helps immensely when it comes to that. Are there other opportunities out there to improve out of this? Yeah, I I think so. I I, I think in general, covering your sneezes is always is always a good idea, right? And sanitizing. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you, you know, follow the CDC guidelines, you know, clean your hands off and avoid touching your eyes and so forth. Keep six feet away from others. Cover your face with a cloth or face cover. Um, maybe provide those for your technicians. Disinfect areas. You see so much, you know, when you walk into a shop that's just nice and clean, it's so refreshing. Yeah. And, um, if there's a, if there's a place for the customers to sit, that's great. And there's, there's a movement for that to, make a nice sitting area. Maybe there's, there's TV on or movies or whatever, and it's nice and comfortable, but think about who is making the money for the shop. It's, it's the technicians, right? They're yeah. turning wrenches and how well kept is their break area, their sitting area. Do they have a locker where they can put their things and keep it secure? And do they have, you know, something playing for their break or uh, something like that? there's you remember the movie groundhog day oh yeah uh, there's a scene where uh, bill murray is saying to his producer um uh, because she got him like a better place to say like you understand how to keep the talent happy you're gonna go far basically something like that yeah well, i think in a shop you gotta keep the talent happy and the technicians are the talent and i think there's reasonable things that we can do so um i think that uh, if we're if we're looking at trying to keep the techs healthy during a pandemic like we are today um, why aren't we trying to keep the techs happy and healthy during all times? Yes. Right? Thank you. Yes. And that kind of thing. So I think that a shop can do itself a lot of favors by, um, by approaching things that way and just thinking, 
yeah, the bays are going to be dirty, but um, there's so much data out, out there about, you know, the benefits of cleaning up the bay between the, between the jobs and so forth. So just in general, if you want to be a successful shop, keep a clean house and, and take care of the techs, take care of the customers too, obviously. And think outside the box on some of these things. Like how many of the practices in your shop are dictated because, you know, you have to pass a packet of paper around. And if you eliminate that, think of, think of all the possibilities of what you could do as a shop if you're not constrained like that and um, where you can really focus in on what is really causing your shop to be successful, like the techs and, and other things. Um, so it's a good opportunity to kind of re-examine assumptions and um, why does the shop even exist while well, you're, you're arranging a relationship between technicians and customers. You want to go between how can you do that better and so forth. So. Well, Stuff like just that. questioning things, right? Uh, questioning. I, yeah. For so long, I think we always kind of just assumed we do it this way because that's the way we've always done it. And it, by just asking questions of why can't this be better or why can't we do this differently or this is this has not been fun to do for the last 20 years. Why are we still doing it this way? <laughs> and realize the guy, if you don't do it, the guy across the street might be asking those questions and might actually follow his gut and do the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. And then if uh, that we still see even coming out of this, there's going to be a shortage of talent to get into these shops, right? Like that, that's still an issue uh, even coming out of this. And, uh, and I think that's got to change a little bit too. And on the heavy duty side, it's a little bit different, but we're, we're in a few different industries and how we, when I say industries, sectors of the service industry between automotive uh, and the diesel side, diesel heavy duty side, Yep. And uh, I had just read a, uh, there was an article in an automotive magazine uh, for dealerships that talked about a shop that actually, uh, you talk about kind of those creature comforts and, and things that accommodate the techs. They actually built out a full out locker room for their techs and not like a, not just a, here's where you hang your coat, but like a, a locker room that professional athletes would have and they had Xboxes in it and it's, they went so over the top, but I thought that was really cool. And granted, they probably had the budget to be able to do all of that, but, and definitely don't, I'm not saying that everybody has to do that. I'm just saying more when you think outside the box, right. you're treating them like, like if you're treating them like a, an, an uh, NBA player, for instance, like that's a, you, that's showing them that you care about them. Right. And you know, the, if, as an owner, the first thing you're probably going to think when you hear an, a locker room with Xboxes is, well, they're never going to be productive. How am yeah. I going to keep them productive? But step back and think about it. If you're running, and we're not the only ones that do this, by the way. I'm not claiming that we're the only ones with a cloud-based solution and so forth. But think about it. If you have the right solution in place where you can see their productivity, um, you don't have to be hovering over their shoulder and so forth, it opens up so many possibilities to trust them and yeah. take care of them and not feel like you have yeah. to constantly cracking the whip because the data is in a system. You're seeing them be productive. You can relax and everybody can relax and just try to, you know, uh, make, make it a, just an awesome place to work. In your experience and seeing and uh, dealing with shop owners, I think as, and I'm, I'm guilty of this a little bit of not knowing, you know, if, if I'm a very visual person, if I can't see something, I don't know what to think. Right. You're giving them the ability to see that uh, maybe not human work being done, but the actual production that's coming out of that. 
Do you see uh, a struggle in adaptability maybe from, from uh, managers that have been a- around a while where they don't want to, not that they don't want to buy into the process, but it's just a different way of managing. Do you, do you see that at all? Like maybe that difficulty? Yeah. And don't get me wrong. A successful shop still needs strong leadership. You yeah. can't just um, lay down and die and let, you know, your employees run all over you and so forth. You got to be a strong leader. But I think the era of a shop owner throwing chairs across the room, <laughs> dying. Yes. There's still some of those out there, but less and less. I think what some of the newer shops are discovering is it is possible to run a really well efficient shop without those antics and those tactics. And it's a matter of, I guess, draining the emotion out of it and introducing pure accountability and respect. And studies show, psychological studies show that an increase of accountability is directly correlated with an increase in happiness. People want to be held accountable. It's, the the tactics that you take and the quality of the data that you're using to hold them accountable that make all the difference. That's that's great stuff, Jacob. I, I think that's something that we all grow with and we all try to uh, to manage our people better with. And and I think you know at the at the core of it, you care about that individual and you want them to do well uh, because if they do well, then everybody does well. But uh, being able to show them and and be able to uh, like you said, provide that leadership without, you know, kind of the old uh, Bobby Knight method of management or uh, <laughs> throwing a chair. I think that's a, that's a big, big deal. It's something we all need to kind of take as a lesson for sure. All right. Well, Jacob, I, uh, I appreciate uh, you coming on to join us on the podcast today. I, uh, I really enjoyed it. I think I could spend a lot of time with you <laughs> going through and, and talking through different strategies, but this uh, whole new system that you've brought to the to the industry i think is really a game changer i think it's really really good uh, i guess to uh to leave our guests with how do how do people get in touch with you uh thanks jay by the way it's great to be great to talk to you and you got to come by our office next time you're in arizona absolutely i definitely will do that we're, we're at fullbay.com that's f-u-l-l-b-a-y.com come check us out uh, if it makes sense request a demo and so forth but there's a lot of good content down there that you can just use and um, some, some free tools and stuff. Uh, we're just out there trying to help. And, you know, the bet is that the more we help, the more we're going to develop good relationships with people and, and we'll be fine in terms of customers. So, uh, a lot of great resources on there for running a shop. And it's not just for commercial shops. I think a lot of it applies just fine to retail, retail shops. And, and yeah, happy to be on, Jay. All right. Well, thank you so much, Jacob. Uh, it, it, the pleasure was all ours. Thank you.